publish or watch this on YouTube, that means you're now tuning into another chapter of the Introverted Intuition Podcast. My name is Jeff, a.k.a. The Petty Podcaster, a.k.a. The Ambitious Introvert, a.k.a. The Leader of the Libras. Um, CR isn't present for this episode, mostly because the first interview I had with this gentleman, uh, it was a one-on-one style, it was a very um, impactful, memorable conversation. Um, a lot of the listeners, a lot of feedback I got from the episode was very positive. So I figured, why not do it? Uh, have a repeat? So uh, yeah, please reintroduce yourself to our audience and any of our new members of our audience. Uh, just introduce yourself to them as well. Yeah. Um, th- first, thanks again for having me. Uh, my name is Wally White, and I'm the host of the 7:30 Podcast, which is a podcast that focuses on the intersection of uh, Black culture and mental health. Uh, I started the podcast uh, largely because I was di- I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder a little, uh, like almost a year and a half ago now. And um, that just kind of prompted me to tr- want to have conversations to destigmatize uh, conversations around mental health and, and normalize uh, something that many people struggle and deal with. So I think your podcast is probably more necessary than ever. Considering the times we're in, huh? Um, that's a question. Yeah, well, it's more of a statement, but uh, I guess it could be considered a question. Like, what do you think? What do you think about your podcast stance during this time? Uh, I think it is important. I think um, the way in which um, I, you know, I've kind of taken a little bit of a of a turn with how I'm structuring podcasts during COVID uh, and during this, you know insurrection of, of Black Lives Matter movement. And so a lot of the, you know, I'm running this conversation in Black series, and a lot of those conversations have been um, intended to, to share and hold space with other Black folks uh, that are, like, really trying to navigate and figure out what is going on right now and how they're processing things. And not they, but how we are processing things and how we come into understand our place in this crazy, crazy world we live in, but also try to help mobilize and uplift each other um, so that we could be the best versions of ourselves. And so, um, yeah, I think in that regard, it's been very, very necessary. I would say mostly it's been very necessary for me. Um, I'm finding it to be like super cathartic and therapeutic. And um, it's just given me a, a, a different different outlook on 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 the podcast in general, just in terms of uh, my place in not only facilitating conversations, but having a platform um, and also just being very open about my own experiences and how that's sort of helping other people um, with their own experiences and their own struggles. So I'm finding that to be, uh, that's just what I'm finding during this time. The last time I spoke to you in podcast format was actually, I feel like, right before all this kind of went down. Right before. Can you take me back to your mind state around the first few days that started happening, the lockdowns, all this? Um, you know, my mind state kind of hasn't shifted. Um, but I think initially I was very gung-ho about uh, making sure that I was doing things to... That, you know, making sure my my mindset going into this was like, don't be in the same place you're at when this begins as like when it ends. Right. So wherever I'm at, right, like in March, I wanted to be in a better, better spot 
or not a better spot, a different spot with a different perspective, maybe with some new resources, with some new tools, some new connections, some new network. Um, and so I've been doing all those things, uh, making sure that, you know, I, I was pretty focused on making sure I was living um, healthy lifestyles, like eating, working out um, and doing all those things. And, and I've continued to do that. Uh, I think I'm like in probably the best physical shape I've been in in a few years. Um, I feel good. So my mind feels good. When my body feels good, my mind feels good. Um, and then, you know, more recently the school year ended. So, you know, I was teaching under COVID. So, you know, my mindset has changed a lot because right now I'm, I'm taking a little bit more time for me. Um, and, you know, I, I plan to spend a lot more time working on podcasts in the month of July. Mm. Um, and so, I, yeah, I would say my, my mind state hasn't really changed. I would just say like the circumstances of things have changed a little bit. Um, and I think obviously with the George Floyd situation and my Arbery and all these other, like Breonna Taylor, all these things going on, I've just, that I would say the one thing that has changed is I have and feel a greater responsibility to speak truth right. more than ever. And I, I just been trying to like use my voice, use whatever little platform I have to be able to do that. Right. And I feel a lot of people's battle, I'll speak for myself, my battle coming into this like post George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Rayshad Brooks, like I, um, I haven't, have you, let me ask you this first before I get into my, my point. Have you attended any protests? I have not. Uh, I went to one. I wasn't in it, but I went to one and I was observing. But no, I, I've been very intentional about not going to protests. Okay, we'll get into that in a second. But my, my battle was between being, um, having a platform and speaking about these things felt like it wasn't enough for me at times. I feel like I had to eventually take that next step and to be present in a protest and be more active uh, on the front lines outside of just behind my phone. I'm curious, have you, have you felt any of that pressure, any of that uh, maybe had a similar battle? Like, Yeah, I mean, on some level every day, it's like I feel some some guilt about not going to some of these things, especially when they first started happening. Um, but I think... Uh, the thing I, I sort of, I'm going to say the way in which I convinced myself, but the way in which I've justified my actions of not partaking in some of these things has solely been, you know, in some ways, this is no longer my fight to be fighting anymore. Mm. Um, you know, I, I and and we and so many of us have like really been on the front lines of trying to make make some of these changes over time. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying me specifically, but I'm saying like our, you know, our families, our ancestors, you know, people within the black community have been, you know, same thing that they were protesting for now is the same thing they were protesting for in 1955, you know? And so nothing's really, really changed. And I think the methods of it have to look a little different. And I think they do look a little different right now. I think obviously there's more, um, there's more collective action from white folks and people that are non-black probably more than ever than ever before. Right. Um, but I think in terms of like me not going to protest and stuff like that, I was, you know, the big thing for me was, you know, there's a few factors. There's the factor of like not wanting to be on, on the, on the front lines and feeling like, why, why am I fighting for this now? 
Like, why are people just now starting to take notice that these things are such big and major issues? Um, and then the other part of it, it the, the other two elements of it was, like, you know, the whole idea with COVID, not wanting to be in, like, large groups of spaces. And then I would say the really the biggest factor was not wanting to deal with very unpredictable police. Right. And, you know, in the first few weeks, especially when it's popped down in New York, you know, the NYPD was all over the place, doing all types of crazy stuff, pulling out guns, throwing, you know, I, I could go on and on and on. And so the whole idea that a lot of these things are, the protests are, have erected because of police brutality against people like myself and then like, or people that look like me and then going into a protest to protest that with people that are not all, but with people that definitely have, um, they don't have the same sort of um, control, right? right. The, you know, the impulses look very different. So for me, I was like, why am I going to protest and put myself in a really unpredictable situation, put myself in a situation where, you know, maybe I might get arrested for doing, you know, or whatever, not saying that I would go with that intent, but really the reality of it is for people like you and myself that look like you and myself, myself, we don't know what's going to happen when we enter the world. When we enter the world on a day-to-day, -day, let alone go to a protest where things are highly, highly contentious. And so my, my whole thing was like, don't put myself in a really contentious space because it, it, it created a lot of anxiety for me. Um, and so when I thought about it like that, I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. But I don't, what, what has your experience? Have you gone to protest? No, um, I actually plan to. If there's any coming up this week, this weekend, I really, I just had enough, yo. Like, it's just like, I'm afraid. I'm literally afraid to walk out and go to a protest and potentially either risk getting COVID or getting worse than that, right? Or just as bad as that. Um, and around the, around like the George Floyd situation, I, um, I wasn't even doing the podcast. I wasn't motivated to do it because I felt like my contribution with the show, the platform, yeah, my intention is to help and to be that escape for as many people as I can, but there's many more people on the front lines who don't have who aren't even thinking about a podcast. They're not thinking about getting that escape. They want justice. So I was having this weird, this battle between like, is even what I'm doing necessary? Is my net, is the next uh, phase of like my usefulness to the my people is it to go out so it was like this is this really weird like guilt struggle within myself and it's honestly boiled up to this point where i'm still motivated to do the podcast and create but i'm just tired man like what if i i think like all the time like what if like i could be the one to help this person you know like or just want to provide some waters or do something more that could possibly shift the dynamic of the day, right? So I, I want to go. I'm still I'm still very scared. But my my um my perception on protests has really changed since the George George Floyd situation. In my opinion, I mean there's probably still gonna be some more stuff coming out, but in my opinion, that situation there was no gray areas. Like everything was right there. You could see the whole video, the whole exchange all on video. And my perception on protests before was like why are people just going out? Why are people doing this? Nothing's really changing. But because the situation was so, like, clear and there was no gray area, 
and people still felt passionate enough to like come out in numbers and even force the police department to in the, in the state to make certain changes. Like it, my whole perception on processing has just changed. Like things can be done if we're on the front end. And if we just keep trying, like who knows what could happen. So seeing these possibilities, these new realities, it motivated me even more to decide to get over this fear I have and this anxiety to attend a protest in the near future. Yeah, and I think to your point, like, or, you know, to sort of respond to what you just said, I I see great value in protests, right? Um, I, I don't ever want to make it seem like I'm not in, in favor of them. As long as they're... Um, I, I see great value in them. I, I just don't... For me, I, I, the other thing that was hard was I was, like, struggling with this idea, like, do people even know what they're protesting for? Not black and brown people, but, like, like I was like, do, do white folks understand what they're protesting for? When they go out there, like, what are they... Do they... They don't really understand. So I was also convincing myself of that. They don't really understand because they don't understand and can't relate to the experience that doesn't that's that's not negating their contributions to the movement i'm not saying that at all but for me it was like kind of hard to really because i've always i've been in this space lately where i'm like keep that same energy it's it's easy during covid when people aren't working and things are shut down it's easy to get out and go to a protest and and, and be on the front lines but my my real test or the real thing that I'm looking for is like when this COVID situation um, dissolves and dies out, what's what are people going to be doing? Where are the energy going to be? What are they going to be doing with their resources? How are they going to be helping change some of these things? And 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 so I th- I think with the protest I feel a little skeptical for that reason. Um, it's like, uh, and I've been talking about this a lot, but it it almost seems like a protest is a way of people of, of of absolving their own guilt, their own privilege. And so part of me doesn't want to be in a a space with that energy because it doesn't seem or feel as real. Right. And so I, I, you know, and then the other, the other facet of this is, is, and this is a real, real fear of mine. And we could, we can shift the conversation wherever you want. But um, I think about it. I was like, I could go to a protest and not know who the enemy is. Like there could be a white person there that's really out, like, you know, well-meaning and doing really altruistic thing. And there could also be a white person there with, you know, all the most worst intentions of hurting people um, that are trying to fight for something that, uh, or advocate for something that just seems like a, a real basic human right, you know? And um, that's also a scary so there's unpredictable police, but there's also unpredictable white people. Because, you know, I think I saw something the other day about Ku Klux Klan, like, why do they wear hoods? And it was like, because they like your doctors, your lawyers, your, you know, um, your, 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 your clergy, like, they're, they're embedded in our society in every facet, and they don't want to be seen in that way. Right. So it's like, those people could legitimately be at protests at New York City. Just because we live in New York doesn't mean there's not bigoted people here. I was just on the I was just on the beach the other day, and there's somebody walking down with a Trump Trump 2020 swimming trunks in New York City, and I'm like, really? Um, and that you know that that kind of stuff exists. So 
got to be really careful with how we how we move, you know? And that's kind of been like my my thing lately. You you can choose to answer this or not, but I'm not sure what your relationship with how many relationships you've had with non-black people prior to this whole this whole situation. Like you know, romantic maybe, relationships? No, no, just like maybe friendship, associate-wise, whatever, like and I'm curious if you have, like, has that dynamic shifted in any way with all this going on? Well, you know, I don't know if I told you this or if you knew this or not, but I, I was transracially adopted. So my my parents, you know, my the people I call mom and dad are white. I have a, a white brother. I have a white sister. Like, you know. Wow. And, um, and I have white family members. I have a white grandmother, white grandfather, white uncle, aunt, you know, cousins, all of that. And so this has been an incredibly hard time for me. I'm sure it's been really hard for them mm-hmm. because I think when a lot of this stuff initially popped off, I wasn't really trying to talk to anybody in my, in my, in my, like my adoptive family, my white family. I, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to engage. I didn't want to have discussions. Part of it was like, I don't, you can't relate to like what I'm feeling right now. Um, and I, I don't even know if it, if it's helpful for you to listen. Cause I had so much rage about it. And then the other part of it was like, I'm in a spot where I don't want to be just because we're relatives. I don't want to feel like you have to absolve yourself of any guilt that you might have. Right. Just because. Just because, like, I'm your black nephew or I'm your black cousin or I'm your black son or whatever, doesn't mean that you don't have shit that you have to check with yourself, too, you know? And so I was, like, having, and I still am, having a lot of, a lot of, lot of uh, a really hard time with it because I think in my life, I've sort of always struggled with some identity issues in regards to, like, race and, like, privilege and things like that because um, I have benefited from in some ways I've benefited from being, being adopted and being in this other type of situation. Um, but you know, when I enter the world, the world sees me as a black man. And so, you know, just because I was adopted doesn't mean that that's not my experience. You understand what I'm saying? And so, um, and I think the, the, the sort of sentiment or feeling I get amongst some of my white relatives is like, well, wait, like you're like, you're part of our family. Like, like, aren't we different than the rest of the world right now? And it's like, yes, you are different from the rest of the world. Like, two things can be true, I guess. That's what I'm saying. Like, two things can be true. You can be different from the rest of the world, and I can also feel the way that I feel right now. You understand? And so yeah. it's been a really tricky thing to navigate. I, I know in the immediate aftermath of, like, what happened with George Floyd, um, I wasn't trying to talk to any of my white friends, relatives, anything like that. It was like a really difficult time for me. Um, and, you know, I, there's, there's, I have white friends that have reached out to me during this, you know, month and a half, five, six weeks period, and I still haven't gotten back to them. And it's not because of anything personal. It's not like, ah, oh, I don't really, I don't fuck with you or whatever, whatever. But it's, it's, it's really like, I don't even know where or how to start the conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just it, it, it's been very difficult to answer your question. Um, I've had some conversations, uh, but not not many, um, not many. 
I haven't had any. And <laughs> I've had, I, I have like, I feel like a hefty balance between black friends and non, non-black friends. And even my job, my job hasn't addressed this once. And I have a black boss who's very wow. And it's just like, I don't know where I stand. Like I, ha- I, I do value my relationships because I don't really have too many solid relationships. Um, and the ones that I do have, I do really appreciate them. And I do like care for them, but I haven't heard anything from them now to this day. And it's just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and then even right. with my job, it's like, my boss, she's, she's a black woman. She's very pro-black, like every other time. But before this, but now that all this has happened, it's like, haven't heard a peep, man. And it's just like, I, I'm, I don't know where I stand in the world. Like, I don't know why. I really stand in these people's lives. It's like, do what they even care? It's just like really weird, yo. It's it's a very weird time. Where do you think her silence comes from? Um, I think it's out of fear of compromising her position. I I think people are really doing anything they can, especially if they have the job to keep it, because uh, you can see the unemployment rates are through the roof. People don't want to have nothing. They don't want to have a safe, lose their stable income. Right. So I can see that, and I, I don't want to say I understand it, but I can recognize that. But I'll never understand it. At least no. even hit you on the side or something. <laughs> it's just it's very weird times, man. Yeah. But uh, what what do you have to say to the people who are so thirsty for normalcy? Like uh, certain states are opening up, not necessarily New York, New Jersey, where I'm at, but what do, what, do you, what do you say or what do you think when you see people just on the beach every day or going back to this, the stores with no mask? Like, people's thirst for normalcy is getting very real. What do you think about this? Well, I'm saying this to somebody who was on the beach today. Um, you know, I think social distance is, is important. I, I, I specifically went to the beach on a Monday as opposed to a weekend of July 4th just to, just to make sure that I was not going to be around any people. Um, and I was, I was able to successfully navigate that today. Um, I I think people need to find a balance and I think people need to be very practical about what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. I know, for example, um, I ride through Bed-Stuy like every day like, you know, sometimes I, you know, I I cruise through there when I'm on my way home or whatever. And and Bed-Stuy, they, at seven o'clock every night on this one block, in Bed-Stuy, mm-hmm. they have, like, a big, like, basically a huge-ass block party every night, 7 o'clock. It's yeah. crazy. Like, hundreds of people out there every night during this whole COVID situation. And I'm like, it's all cool for y'all to dance with masks on and all of that other shit, but this stuff is still real, you know? We, we haven't gotten past the phase of, 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 you know, where people could really let their guard down. And so I think... People need to be really careful and cautious, mainly because I think especially people that are like, ah, oh, like I want to get back to work or whatever, whatever. It's like we'll never get back to like a normal economy as so long as like this stuff continues to sort of snowball. Mm-hmm. And so people I think people need to have like a, a lot more reservation, um, a lot more, you know, self-control in terms of what they decide to do and and how they decide to like really engage and interact with the world during this time 
like I haven't rode, I haven't rode public transportation. I've been on my bike basically every day. That's just how I get around the city now. Um, I never go into any store without a mask on. I think that's like crazy, you know, and, and unless I'm like talking with people that I really, really know that I've, you know, been around or, you know, we're in a small setting, I'm not, I'm not taking a mask off, you know? Um, and so I, I, I don't know. I just think people need to be a little more mindful and selfless about how they're navigating this. And, and I, I'm saying myself included, there are definitely things that I could, could scale back on um, during this time. But do, do you think COVID will go away completely? Like, honestly, because if, if, if people are just consistently doing these things and going out without caring, it just feels like the, the time frame for normalcy, true normalcy, whatever that is, is just being pushed back further along. So do you have any predictions of how this or when this could go away? Um, I think this is going to go for a couple of years. It, it'll be here for a few years. Um, meaning... I don't think we'll be in shutdown completely for a few years, but I do think like the idea of like having to navigate a world like in a mindset of being conscious about COVID is not going to go away. I don't, I don't see, I don't see it going away before like the end of next year. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, but I'm no health expert, you know, this is just my prediction just in terms of like knowing how people are moving and navigating in the world right now. Um, and if people were just smart, like people traveling, going places, like, like stay the fuck home, you know, it's like, if, if you don't really need to go somewhere, stay home. Like, and what I'm, what I'm saying is traveling, like across the country, getting on a flight, like, like if you don't need to do that, it's not absolutely essential or necessary. Keep your ass home. And one of the things that is like. It's really, you know, I, I, I've been dying to get out of New York. I want to go down to New Orleans and hang with my best friend and chill and kick back. It's summertime. But I know I can't do that right now. Do, making that decision is a very selfish decision, you know. And I think somebody, I have a 86-year-old relative of mine, my, my great uncle, who's like a grandfather to me. He lives in the Bronx. And he lives by himself. And I think having an older relative that I feel really closely connected and tied to really has changed my my outlook on the COVID situation just in terms of like my own consciousness about how my actions may affect other people. Cause I'm constantly like thinking about and worried about my uncle. So I'm yeah. the same way with my grandmother. I uh, that's also part of like the battle between going to um, like protests and stuff like that. It's like it's not just about me. Both exactly about me going and me not going. So it's, it's, it's been very, it's very difficult to really commit to the idea of going. Exactly. Um, what do you have to say? What, do you, what are your thoughts on the people looking for, like, someone to guide them during these times? Like, so there's celebrities that they follow or the influencers, and they're not really saying anything. Do you, do you think, what, what, do, what do you think about those people who don't really have anyone else to believe in but these people who aren't even saying anything? Well, you know, this is like a, this is a, a, it's a good question. Um, I feel like everybody has to contribute in their own way, right? 
whatever the way is that they they feel like they're contributing, I would say especially if you're black, right? So like what you do, for example, right, as a black man, what or what I do as a black man in regards to some of the issues going on right now, whatever contributions I'm making, like I can't it's it's counterproductive for me to to compare and try to either validate or invalidate somebody else's contributions like say for example you it does nothing right in fact it it just creates more of a divide and i think we're oftentimes as a people very 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 like set on a lot of times criticizing critiquing what what someone else hasn't done what michael jordan hasn't done what lebron james hasn't done like whatever right Mm -hmm. and that's all valid. People, people are entitled to those um, opinions. But also, these other people are also entitled to navigating these spaces the way that they want to navigate them as well. And so my, my thinking is, like, if you really, if you really care about the, the, the state of your people, like, for example, and you're a black celebrity, you're taking some action in some form or another. Like, you know, trying to quantify the value of that action, I don't want to get into it. But, like, if you're really not doing anything, then I, I would say you're not really that engaged with your people. You're not really that connected to your people. If you don't see, like, this as a moment to be very outspoken and being very proactive about um, things, then, then it's... Um, then, then you're not doing you're not doing right by by black folks and and the, the other thing I'll say is like not everything needs to be public right so what some people are doing isn't always public right and I think that's also valid too we have to like really respect that I think in the age of social media and 24-hour news cycles people want to have access to everything so like what did this person do what did this person not do and like I feel for celebrities in some ways it's like why can't I just be behind the scenes and and do things without it being documented, reported, all these other things. So I, I, you know, I don't feel like anybody has any obligation to do anything. You don't have an obligation to go to a march or protest, nor do I. LeBron doesn't have an obligation to do anything related to Black Lives Matter. But I will say, if he really cares about his people, he's going to do some stuff, you know. And I think that's true of everybody. Like everybody has to play their role and play their part. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I kind of used to shame people like that, but people, more than anything, they just need someone to, I don't want to say lead them, but everyone has an outlet and someone they have, no, let me say it like this. Everyone has someone that they look up to. And I feel like now more than ever, people are searching for that because no one's really stepping up and doing anything. So I, I can I can see why people would want everyone's transparency with everything they do, but I can also see on the flip side where it's like, yo, I don't have to show you anything I'm doing. Like, I don't have to prove it to you, right? Um, another thing that I've been seeing a lot is people criticizing people for not knowing certain things, right? In terms of, like, the history of our people and how far back this shit really goes. What do you have to say to those people who criticize people seeking for information? Who literally don't know and are, but are just genuinely seeking. 
Well, I, I think there's so many levels to this. And, and, you know, I think it kind of falls back on my previous response to the other question. It's just that there is, I think we need to be very, very conscious and, and, and aware of, like, what has happened to us over time, which has been this, you know, divide and conquer. So because we've constantly been divided and put up against one each other, against one another, we've never really been able to like collectively mobilize in a way to get some of the things done that we need to get done as a people, right? Regardless of like what your beliefs are, what you do, or like what you know, or whatever the case is. So my whole point is like whether it's education, whether it's money, whether it's um, like social capital, anything like that, right? Where we have to get away from the idea that I can't believe you don't know this, or I can't believe that you navigate in circles with these people, or I can't believe that, like, we have to get away from, like, uh, the idea. We, I've been saying this a lot lately. We have to erase our ego. Mm. Like, we really have to erase our ego. That oftentimes is a reflection of some sort of inadequacy or insecurity that we have with ourselves. So I might say, oh, you talk, you know, the, the, the quintessential, one of the quintessential dividing factors has been like, for some people, oh, you talk mad white. And like, all right, well, what, is, what does that mean exactly? Like, and like you think about a big picture, like, what does that mean? What is that reflecting upon the person that's saying that? That's saying something about them. Like, either they have a lack of exposure, or they have a lack of, of, of access, you know, it's not you're not at fault because of like the way you speak. And so we have to get away from the idea of putting people at fault for things or, or sort of um, factions of society that they fit into. And we have to really start to think about like, okay, we're all uh, exposed to this oppression, right? Mm -hmm. In some form or another, like how do we come together to make sure that we can fight this oppression successfully? So the idea of like someone not knowing something about our history, the, the, the response shouldn't be, I can't believe you don't know this, or how don't you know this, or you're not connected to your culture, or your history, or your heritage, or whatever. Conversation should be like, yo, come, come here, let me school you, let me kick game to you about this, right? right? That's the conversation. Because if, I, if, I, if it's only knowledge that I hold, then it does nothing for our people. If, 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 if we're not sharing it, if we're not sharing all of our resources, then then we're not really fighting the call. Like, we're really not fighting the fight. Right. And, and I agree. That's definitely a great thing we should do. But the flip side of that, in my opinion, is like there's literally no excuse. There's literally nothing that you, outside of people's personal experiences, that you can't Google, that you can't find in a book. So it's just like if you're not even doing the work on your own, why should I have to educate you? And I feel like can, that can kind of dial, that's like loosely connected to like the whole, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like the situation with J. Cole with No Name. And he yeah, was yeah. speaking on like her tone and how she presented information and he felt like it was, her, her delivery was too, was too much and all he was just looking is just for information. It's just like, I'm kind of, I'm with her. It's just like, yo, she doesn't have to really say it any kind of way. And I, I and in tone like Sandra Bland she was murdered for her tone how she spoke to the police officer 
we, we saw what ended up happening to her. So it's like policing people's tone and I guess like leaning on someone for information that you can find on your own is just I don't know. It, but it's just lazy to me. But I, but yeah, but I, on the flip side of that, right, or, or to play devil's advocate a little bit, because I can speak about this as an educator, as a teacher, right? Like, if you don't know, and this is great, actually, because I'm reading this Huey P. Newton right now, and it's really getting me to think about, think about, like, my role in education and teaching, because one of the big things he talks about is, like, being in a school system that killed his desire to inquire. That's what he said. Right. And so to your point about like Google, yeah, you could go on the Internet and, and, and almost find information just about anything. Right. But if you don't know what you're searching for, then you don't you don't get that information. Right. If you've been subjected to like an education system that has in, in this instance with like Huey P. Newton, the way he talks about it, that has killed his desire to inquire, then like how how do you access information? How do you go about accessing information? How do you know what questions to ask? How do you know what how do you know how to how to Google? Right? It's not even a matter of like Googling. Like if we say, oh, this person could just Google this, we're under the assumption that they even know how to use Google. There's people out in the world that don't really know how to navigate Google to get the information that if we're talking like nitty-gritty information we're going to get real like some deep history yeah and they don't you know what i mean and so i think we have to like take into account all these things um and not make presumptions that people people should know certain things right and the other thing i will say and add to this is that like a lot of our history has been a race and so if if a history has been a race right then then we're it's hard. It's hard to get that information, right? You could say, for example, like, I don't know which slave owners own, own my, like, my ancestors. I don't know that information. Well, I, should, I, should I know that information? Yeah, you can make the argument that I, I absolutely should. But, you know, I haven't, I haven't come across that information. And I, and I guess I should do a better job about trying to find it, too. You know, at the same time, I think it's a it's a it's a it's a two way street with 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 this stuff in terms of like what we know versus what we don't know. Yeah. Um, and there's so many histories that people that that say they know don't even know. So it's like, again, it's like a way to invalidate somebody else's experience. While like validating your own. And I think that is like that is inherently counterproductive. It does nothing. It does nothing. In fact, all I think it does is it kills people's desire to inquire. Because then people are like, fuck, I didn't know that. Yeah. Right? As opposed to, like, if you, if you I'm, and I'm rambling on about this because I think this is really important, but, like, if I didn't know something and you came and you said, yo, sit down, I'm going to teach you about this thing. Right? There's two things that's going to come from that. I'm going to have, if, I'm, if I have a genuine interest in it, I'm going to have more questions that will lead me to inquire on my own. That's probably the greatest gift that you could give me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You feel me? Right. Yeah. Okay. And in the process, 
And in the process, you're building me up. We're, we're building, you know, we're building a trust. We're building a rapport. I'm saying, oh, this person taught me this. What else can they teach me? As opposed to this person made me feel like shit. And now I don't really even want to know what the deal is. Very true. I, I, I do. We just need, I think, collectively for us to progress as a race even further. There's less ego and more educators, more patience with each other as well. Because I, I sometimes it's a fact. There are some people who hold more information, different levels of consciousness than most other people, but that doesn't make you less than. And I think people need to understand that the information that you absorb and how you learn and how you grow in your own spiritual journey is your own pace and you shouldn't compare your journey to somebody else's. But the people who are already on that level should not shame the people who aren't on their own. So Right, for the for the people that don't know, right? It, like yeah. if you if you have certain information, you actually have a greater responsibility and obligation to 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 like sort of kick game to to the people that don't have the information. Right. It's like if I'm making money and I know how to make a lot of money and you're broke and I'm like, "You know what, man? Like you want to make some money, I want to teach you how to make how to make this money. I'm going to take you to the well. This is where the money's at, right? Then I'm making you like more self-sufficient, you know. And so, like, that's all we want to do. We gotta build each other up, man. That's definitely a first tip to get out of this. But like, black people didn't create racism. I heard the other day something very interesting I never heard before that black people didn't create colorism. White people did. Um, what? How do we? Do we? How do we really get out of this hole of oppression that we're in? Like. Do we need to fo all follow under one umbrella and w follow one leader? Do we all need to, do we need groups of, of leaders and militias and whatever? Like, what, what, in your opinion, how do we get out of this cycle of oppression that we're in? If there's a way out. Um, people thought like Obama was our, our Lord and Savior that would get us out, a black man, right? President of the United States. But in my opinion, in certain ways, he pushes back even further than before. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on how we get out of this? I want to come back to the Obama thing in a minute, because I think that's um, something. So, so don't let me forget about that. Sure. But um, the uh, I honestly, it sounds kind of corny. It might sound a little cliche, but I feel like everybody needs to like figure out a way to collectively come together and build like what we're doing right now right i'm on your platform we sort of talking about these things like um like one hand is always going to wash the other if we can if, if we can do that and always look at it like you know this person has resources here how can we use those resources here or in this other area to like build up this other area? and like we gotta constantly kind of think like that it's like you can't we got to get out of the like um, crab in a barrel mentality, and I yeah. think that that is the thing that and that, and when I say like erase the ego, that's what I'm really alluding to. Like, we kind of got to get away from like I'm getting ahead of you, I'm getting I'm higher on the ladder than you are, um, and we got to figure out a way to like get get us all in a place where we could be like I don't want to say successfully functioning, but like where we could all be on a level that where we can sort of compete with the rest of society in a very, very real way.
Right. You know, you don't go to a white neighborhood and or affluent community, affluent white community, and see them sort of like having like the crab in a barrel mentality. You might see it in a in a very superficial way, like oh that guy has a nicer car, or like whatever they have a big house, they're rich, whatever. But like you don't see it in the same way. It's like with us, it's like oh that motherfucker don't got no money, like he always fronting or like. Mm-hmm. so forth and so on right or he don't got what i got she doesn't have what i got or he's not from where i'm from my block is harder than his block so forth. you know what i mean there's a lot of that um my rhymes are better than his rhyme like they're like we could go on and on and on and on and on but these are things that have crippled us for forever bro it all starts with self like if you're if you're literally literally going that hard and saying things like that it's something on you that you need to work on and I'm, I'm not really sure. But we're blinded. We're blinded by that, though. We're blinded yeah. by that. Yeah. And I think, and I think we have to build to sort of really break the break the cycle. I think we have to build build our collective conscious, right? And so, like, um, I saw something today. It was like, black men stop killing other black men. It's like killing people in your own army. And it's like. It's true. Like, how do we build that sort of consciousness up where, like, some 18, 19-year-old kid in Chicago doesn't feel the need to go out and kill somebody that looks just like him, that is just like him, you know? And, 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 and that, like, we have to build that collective conscious up. But you mentioned... We have to... like... Go ahead. No, and I, I think, honestly, I think the biggest thing is we have to, we have to invest in our most vulnerable population and i think our most vulnerable population is black people and i call them youth because i still think they're youth despite what society says they are black youth ages 18 to 24 25 like we have to we have to invest in those people we have to find a way to like get them to college we have to find a way to keep them in college we have to find ways to get them internships during the summer we have to find ways to make sure that they're on a trajectory to sort of live fully self-sufficient lives to feel like they have purpose to feel like they are connected to community those are the people we need to connect um where that starts and build up my bad i'm sorry no no go ahead Um, i just got really excited but like we're like but to do that like we have to invest in these neighborhoods where they're coming from, these impoverished neighborhoods. I feel like if all these kids had opportunities to make money legally, to invest in their craft legally and afford it, like at affordable price, like then I think there would be less of a divide between the other people in their in their neighborhoods. Like these kids don't have anything to do. They don't have any viable ways to make money. To help them pay their mama's rent, to help get that car they want, whatever. Like they don't have any viable options, and it's like they look at that as their first and their last option. These viable matters, and to for them to first get to these, get as many of these kids in colleges and employed as possible, we need to start in the neighborhoods where they're from. In my opinion, no, one hundred percent. And I think if there's one way in which white folks can help, is is I think. And I'm going to actually, now that we're talking about this, I'm going to make a, a post about this on my podcast. But I think if there's one way white folks can help, you know, advance 
the lives of black people in America, it is like investing in, in people age, ages 18 to 24. I think that is like a very real thing. Whether that means you have a company and you want to offer one of these people a job or you want to you know, invest in an organization that directly works with this type of population or demographic, like, you know, a lot of white people are thinking about things and ways that they can help. That is a very direct way that they can help. How can you help the most vulnerable black and brown populations, right? right. Where are the most vulnerable black and brown populations? Kids 18, 18 to 24. You know, I was just thinking about this today. Like, my brother, my older brother went to prison. He went to, he got locked up when he was 22 years old. He went to prison for 16 years. That, 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 um, that ages 18 to 24, that's real. Like right in between that 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 little gap, my brother went to prison for 16 years. Then he comes out, he's 37. Mm. You know, and then and then and then and now he's 37 and he's vulnerable all over again. That's like a whole nother layer of it, right? So how do we invest in like the most vulnerable black and brown populations? And I think this is like the 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 ages of 18 and 24, we need to really think about that like collectively. Like how do we do that? How do we engage them? How do we make sure that they feel connected to community? So much of it is feeling connected to, com to community. Like, why do kids join gangs? Gangs are, it's a community. Right. It's a community of people that you identify with. So how can we, turn, how can we turn, turn those gangs into, like, viable communities where people feel connected to something positive, you know? Yo, gangs should be like the hood police, like the fucking the neighborhood watch. Like they should be, like they should have badges. They should have proper artillery, artillery to defend the neighborhood they they represent. Like you know, I'm, and that's a lot of the way in which a lot of these gangs started. You know, a lot of these gangs started because of because of kind of what you're talking about. It was like police in their own neighborhoods, police in their own blocks, and you know, they grew into something completely different. But uh, I, I just started reading this book by Dr. Claude Anderson, Poweronomics, and it kind of got me thinking about what I really want from white people going forward. There's a bunch of statistics and like numbers, specific numbers of like how much white people have made compared to like black people, and in terms of like the millions and billions, whatever. And it's like, yes, I would like their support of the protest, but really, what I want more than anything is their money. They have the they have the real power and the real access to change the trajectory of our communities. I mean, we can do it ourselves and we should. We should definitely buy as much land as possible, invest in ourselves, whatever, but these are the real power makers. Like, they they have the real money to change, I think. I don't want to say our reality. I, want to, I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm like searching or begging for their help, but the, the way they can contribute to change is by giving up their money, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a complete overhaul, like, you know, give me, give me, you know, X amount of your right. like wealth or equity, like whatever the case is. But like, uh, I think, I think, I think people need to invest in, 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 in black enterprise, like whatever form that is, it could be media, it could be business, it could be, you know. What, whatever the case is, like, I, I do feel like there needs to be a collective action, like, and uh, a, a friend of mine who's actually Asian, she's been talking about wanting to really help support and, like, build a Black Wall Street in, Bed in like, Bed-Stuy, in a place like Bed-Stuy, 
That could work. And and I'm like, yeah, that would be great, right? So like when you say give up their money, I'm saying like, to me, I look at that as yeah, that could be a really useful thing, but like how can we get like white people to like legitimately invest in black business? And when I say legitimately invest in black business, I mean like where it's not what's good for what what's good for you is inherently bad for me. Mm. Where it's not one of these situations. And I think black people need to be really cautious during this time because I do think there's a lot of a lot of exploitative sort of twists that are, you know, that are driven by capital, driven by like capitalistic ideologies. Like if I invest in this person because they're black and they have this platform, then I can like, you know, I can help, you know, increase my wealth. I can help help them grow and help me grow at the same time, right? Yeah. So one of my big things would be like, for example, if, 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 a, if a white person or white establishment were to come to me and say, I would like, um, you know, I'd like to invest in you, but I would like 30% of, you know, profits or whatever. I, I want to do a 30-70 split. One of the things I would say is like, if the if it if if the conversation is established on the basis that I am a like they want to support a black entity, right? My conversation be like with your thirty percent of your profits, I want ten percent or fifteen percent of that thirty percent to go to X, Y, and Z organization to support this other black cause, right? Um, because it can't all just be when 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 when, right? But just right. because you you did something that helped me grow doesn't mean it was purely altruistic. Doesn't mean that it's not continuing to like funnel this, this, uh, this cycle of like, uh, I I would say the cycle of black people being exploited. You look at it, every industry it's, it's happened over time, you know, whether it's music, movies, like whatever, any, any entertainment, like black people have been exploited. Um, and they continue to be exploited in, in other industries as well. Yeah, that's kind of the point I was trying to make when I said we, I want their money. Like, I've seen too many of our businesses, our projects being emulated, whitewashed, and then put a higher price tag on it than what we were offering. And it's just like the real creator isn't getting any shine. So it's like, if you want to be a true ally, yes, show up to the protest, yes, donate or whatever. But like, put some money behind these black creators. Stop stealing our ideas. Like, Put your money where your mouth is if you really want to be a true ally in my eyes. Like, I don't really value words anymore. Money is really one of the main driving forces of this country. And it's just like, these are the ones, these billionaires, these Jeff Bezos, like, he has too much money. So it's like, why don't you put it into something that actually could be progressive? You know what I mean? So, but I wanted to get back to the Obama thing. You wanted to, you wanted to mention Obama. I, I mentioned him briefly, but... Yeah, I, you know, I, I have a very strong opinion about Obama, and I think it, it differs from a lot of people's opinions about him. People either love him or hate him or whatever. Um, and I say, I, I think black, I, I personally think black people are too critical of him. Mm. And the reason I say that is because. Obama did the one thing that 
he not only attempted to do it, but he actually successfully did it. He did the one thing that, in my opinion, no black person, I don't want to say they didn't have the courage to, but they weren't able to successfully do it. And not only were they not able to successfully do it, because they weren't able to successfully do it, the, the courage needed to do it was never really, you know, n- never had to be explored. And, and, and obviously what I'm alluding to is that he, he, you know, ran for president and became president. That's like, you know, every major black leader from fucking Martin Luther King to Malcolm X to Fred Hampton, anybody, Marcus Garvey, anybody that's ever like really galvanized our country be it white or black, like, like, you know, especially black folks, right? Mm-hmm. Obama galvanized black people to vote. Like a lot of black people went out and voted, right? In fact, I don't know if a lot of black people that are our age would be voting if Obama didn't run for president when he did, you know? And kind of really changed my perspective as a voter because I was like, you know, it was the first time I was voting in an election in 2008. And I was like, I never thought I'd see a black president in my, in my lifetime. Yeah. And then here, here I am with an, with an opportunity to help vote a black president. And so I was like, yeah, I'm doing this. And so it gave me a lot of optimism. And I still have some optimism, although maybe not as much. But the, po- the, point, I'm, the point I'm making is that, like, Obama did the one thing and was able to do it and was under so much scrutiny and pressure. Like, he did the one thing that no one did. That no one ever that for that alone he's like the goat to me, and in that in that in that capacity because like you don't get like it's just it's still baffling to me like I'm to this day I'm like I don't know how Obama wasn't assassinated. That's very true. I could say the same thing about Trump. Um, I'm I'm not really more so critical of Barack Obama himself. Yes, he galvanized people, black people to come to the polls and people uh, who look like you and I were voting for the very first time and we never thought we'd see this in our lifetime, but I feel when he got there, that's when the, the, the comfort came within our community. I feel like it took a while for people to even be there hasn't been another, another Obama since. So I felt like people collectively got comfortable with the fact that that happened. That's what we wanted. It happened and that's it. Like no one else has stepped up and reached for the stars to try to emulate or be better than Obama. I feel like there was a collective laziness that came over us during the eight years he was in office, that people were just like, okay, he's there. That's it. We got what we want. He's going to he's gonna ride with us. He's going to support us. He's going to do all this and that. And he didn't... I'm going to say he didn't do that, but he didn't do, I feel, what, what everyone expected. And no one else has picked up the ball, the, the, the ball that he dropped. Like, no one else is tried to, to go for the goal like he did. And it's just like, I don't, I don't know if I put that as a, as a fault on Obama, maybe more so us, but what he represented was the possibility. He exceeded all the possibilities. He, he did it. But I feel when that happened, that also collectively put us back because it happened, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, put, it not only put us back, it put our country back, it, it, you know. It resurrected a lot of um, bigoted and racist beliefs that are, you know, 
being not only supported, but being promoted every day, you know? And so, yeah, in some ways he did us a disservice. I mean, if you look at it in that, from that lens, you know, it's like, shit, like Obama getting elected really woke some motherfuckers up that shouldn't have, that were resting sleep and they were hibernating and fine, you know what I mean? It's like, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like we fault him a, a little too much as, as a community. And um, I think we, again, this is kind of gets back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like, why are we bashing Obama? Why are we bashing him? He didn't do X, Y, and Z thing. He didn't do whatever, whatever. And that's fair. That's fine. That's like valid. There's some very valid things out there about his policies, about his politics, also so forth and so on. But at the end of the day, he was fighting the same fight that we were fighting. You know, he's, he, he was up against the same oppression that we've been up against. You know, he had to deal with the same things that we had to deal with. So, like, why can't we see, like, the commonality and try to come, come together as a result of that? Like you said, why can't we find a way to build up the next Obama using that as a model? You know? I, I, yeah, I just think it's like, I don't know. The Obama thing is like a real sensitive subject for me because I, I understand and value a lot of people's opinions in regards to him, especially those that didn't really feel like he did much, um, especially for black people. But I was, you gotta, you gotta give that man a lot of props too. Like he, sure. he did, he did the unthinkable. Twice. Twice. Uh, <laughs> one of my last questions is, um, I feel everyone kind of came into this year with maybe solidified plans or things they wanted to work on. COVID definitely probably puts it back. Uh, I know a lot of the shit I want to do. Um, I'm curious if you felt like that or maybe even still feel like that. And did you have to develop any new goals for yourself towards the, last, the end of this year? And I'm curious if you have, uh, what, what are those goals for yourself? Um, one of my goals is to, to develop new skills. Um, particularly like we're working with my hands. I haven't really, I haven't really ever had to really work with my hands and build shit and, and stuff like that. So, so I've, so I've been spending a little bit more time, like learning like some nuances about like, bi like bicycles and bikes and stuff like that. Um, and so I've been putting a lot of time and energy into my bike. Um, yesterday, I probably put like three or four hours into it um with with the help of a, a good friend of mine who's like very knowledgeable about bicycles and stuff like that um so one of my goals in doing that is like i want to get to a point where i'm taking longer bike rides you know 200 miles 100 miles like whatever the case is um so that I, I just become a little bit more more well versed in like what that like just with my bicycle, I've always enjoyed riding bikes, but, um, so it's been a goal of mine to really get well-versed in that area. Um, working with my hands specifically, like yesterday I had like all this like bike grease all over my hands and my, my hands are never like that. Yeah. And I was just like, I looked at my hands after I was like, yo, this is kind of dope. Like, you know, <laughs> it was like, um, and so that, that, that I want to, you know, do some stuff like that, you know, spend a lot more time reading, although I haven't really been doing it as much. Um, you know, goals for me change with COVID just in terms of um, and, and this George Floyd situation and Black Lives Matter. 
um, in terms of building, building black men, building black community, using my platform to do that uh, with the conversation in black. Uh, so that's been great. We got the next event coming up uh, next Friday, which I'm yeah. super excited about. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so like some of my goals have changed. I'm thinking about other things I can do with the podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, just trying to have, you know, my goals have changed in terms of like my interactions with people. I, I want to I have I feel like I have a greater responsibility to have very, very real and poignant conversations with people, whether or not it makes them uncomfortable or not. And so those are some of my, you know, my short term 2020 goals. Uh, Long term, I'm like, you know, I'm thinking re reconfiguring like curriculum, um, things that I teach uh, so that they have a little bit more applicability to like what's going on right now. and so, yeah, I mean, a lot of things. My mind is firing every day, you know, mm. with everything that I do. Um, just like this conversation has made me think about other things that I need to share with people so that they know what's going on and all that other stuff. Like, this is like a perfect example of that. Everything that I do or that I've been doing during COVID has has lent me either a new perspective or a new idea um, or a new connection with someone. Um, which I think has been really important and powerful for like just ev- my own self evolution. So, yeah. my second to last question is: uh, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you spent a brief time isolating yourselves from like your family, and obviously COVID has isolated you from other people. I'm curious during this time, uh, have you learned anything new about yourself? Anything you may wish to change? Anything you didn't notice before? Um. One, I don't know, and I don't mean this in an I don't mean this in an arrogant way. I actually, I feel quite humbled by it. But I guess the one thing I've really come to realize, and I've never really gave, I've never really gave it so much thought to its value. But um, you know, I've just been able to be in and navigate multiple worlds. Um, you know, I oftentimes talk about like, you know. I've had two childhoods. I had, you know, I lived with my my biological relatives and I got to see life in that sphere. And then, you know, I was adopted and I got to see life in that sphere. And I think because of that, it's given me a very unique, I've come to realization that I have a very unique perspective and experience, especially in this moment in time. Because I can relate to a lot of different people. Um, or I can, I have a lot of common experiences with a lot of different people. Um, and so I think what it's made me notice is that I have, because of that, I have a much greater responsibility to help educate, help inform, and help build people up so that they they feel um, the importance of, like, building community during this time. Mm. Um and specifically building building black people up. Okay. My last question is, um, man, <laughs> mental health is definitely um, my 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 anxiety, my depression has been on an all time high during this time for me. 
Uh, I've been trying to read more. I've been trying to learn new things. I've been just trying to apply myself to all the things that make me happy. I've been trying to realign myself with things that made me happy when I was younger that maybe I stopped doing somewhere along the line as I got older. Um, I've just been doing everything I can to keep my mind clear. I'm curious, what are some techniques or some practices that you have done to keep your mind healthy and clear during these times? If you don't personally want to share your techniques, maybe share some techniques that you notice other people doing that you can provide to the audience that they can use in their own lives? Yeah, I mean, oh, man, I got so many because it's been a struggle for me too. <laughs> this COVID situation has been a struggle, but I've it's also built my consciousness up about like what what um, helps me sustain a, he- a healthy m- healthy mental state, right? And so working out has been incredibly um, essential to every like everything, right? I have to work out. I have to it, it, whether it's running, whether it's biking, whether it's like doing some um, lifting some weights in my garage, like whatever the case is, I gotta, I gotta work out. Um, and so that's been like a big, big thing for me. Um, the days where, when I don't work out, I I feel it. I feel it up top. Um, as somebody that likes to work out, I know you probably feel very same similarly. Um, so just getting creative with my workouts, not, you know, making sure that they're not too monotonous, switching it up today. I ran, this morning, um, I hadn't run in like two weeks. Um, well, I've been getting cardio in other ways, but it was nice to, to do that. I, I was like reminded. Um, one of the biggest things that I've done, um, so like working out, eating right, making sure I'm eating right. I've been cooking and having big like Sunday dinners, um, pulling out the grill, making a, like a nice little spread of food, having a couple, a couple friends over um, and just having meals you know, that kind of build a little community, but also um, cooking's always been like an artistic outlet for me. So it's like, it's good for me in that, in that sense. Um, making, so making sure that I'm eating right, making sure I'm cooking. Um, Cause I oftentimes find what, whatever I put in my body, if it's bad shit, it makes me feel really bad. And if it's good stuff, I feel good. Um, and then the other two things that have been really, really essential. And I think these have been the, the actually, you know, working out is always essential for me, but these have been like the most illuminating is that, you know, you have a lack of structure under this COVID in some ways, right? Some people, especially me right now, it's the middle of the summer. I could wake up at noon if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, with COVID, I've realized, especially during the summer, I have to get up. So getting up, the, the, the very, the mere idea of just getting up, being awake early, whether it's like seven o'clock, seven thirty, eight o'clock, I try to be up. And even if I'm doing something so simple, as just like making breakfast. I try to make sure I'm doing something productive or coming out and reading on my stoop or like whatever the case is. I try to do something early in the day where I'm starting my day early and I'm saying, ah, I did something I was productive. Cause once you get that like productivity firing, then it just sort of trickles down into other things that you're doing within that day. But if you wake up, if I wake up at noon and I haven't done shit before noon, then I feel really unproductive and I get into this unproductive, like this, this vortex of unproductivity. Um, And that's not healthy for me. Um, So that's really been, really been essential. And then um, showering, (laughs) making sure I'm showering because it's easy to be at home and be like, you know, fuck it. I'm not going to shower today. 
Um, I don't gotta I don't gotta go see nobody. I noticed too, like even days I'm at home and I put some cologne on, I'm like, oh, I feel good. You know, yeah. it's just like even though I'm not going anywhere. Um, and then the last thing is the COVID situation has forced me to get my bike out, like I told you. So I hadn't rode my bike in two months. I mean two years. But I got my bike out now and I've been biking everywhere. And um like two weeks ago, I decided I was like, I'm gonna take a bike ride out to Rockaway to the beach. And um, I rode out there. And while I was riding out there, I realized, man, I really love my bike. Mm. And I was like, being on that ride, it was 14, 15 miles. I was like, it was the only time that hour and a half that I rode out the Rockaway. It was the only time this whole entire year where I was literally not focused on anything else. Mm. but riding and it was like the greatest meditation and so i've just been trying to be on my bike as much as possible like right now i'm on the phone with you i'm like man when i get off this call i might actually go out and just take my bike for a little stroll around brooklyn for a little bit right um just to get out so the bike has been really essential for me waking up has been really essential working out eating right those are the things i've been really focused on and i you know i always i have my talk therapy um that i have every every uh once a week so it's good sometimes twice a week there's been there's been times where i've had therapy twice during covid that's amazing man you first of all i just want to say I'm, I'm glad to see and hear that you're doing well like you're holding up well you found uh productive outlets and positive outlets to keep you going during this time um i've been tuning into your conversations in black and your ig lives and stuff like that i'm a huge fan of that as well you definitely kind of inspired me put the battery in my back to keep going and with my own platform. So I want to thank you for still being here and still creating content and uh, contributing to our culture. Really nah, man, I want, I want to thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, I, I think what you're doing is like super important and, you know, obviously any way I could support and help, um, let me know, get you on a conversation in black. We'd love to do that. We gotta, we gotta figure out a time to make that happen. Yeah. And, um, yeah, man. I hope I hope I see you at the conversation in black on the on the on the seventeenth. Yeah, me and uh, CR, my my co-host, we're gonna be in there. So yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, and anybody that you want that you think would be um good to have come into that conversation, definitely let me know. Uh, sure. I definitely want to link them. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So shout out where people could find you and support you. Uh, you can find me support me at the seven three zero podcast on IG on twitter i'm mostly on ig on that account um and then if you needed to contact me for any reason you could also reach out to me at uh wally at the 730podcast.com um you can catch my podcast on all streaming platforms spotify apple um castbox everything so hopefully uh if you haven't listened or want to listen definitely go tap in um Hopefully the conversation could be helpful in some some capacity. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, follow us on social media, Instagram at Introverted Intuition Pod, Twitter at Introverted Pod, YouTube.com backslash Introverted Intuition, uh, introvertedintuition.com. Our website is going to be live around the next week. Um, maybe when, by the time this episode's out, it'll be in the bio for this episode. Uh, but most importantly, we just launched a Patreon account. Um, I guess it's patreon.com backslash Introverted Intuition or if you just type it in the search bar on Patreon. Uh, we have some great things lined up, some great new merch uh, for anyone who decides to subscribe to that, some great new content as well. 
So please go and support that. And um, again, Wally, man, thank you. No, thank you, my brother. And uh, you be good. Take care of yourself, man. All right, and, man. I'll uh, see you next week at the Conversation in Black for sure. All right. Be good. Peace. Peace.